All right. Well, it's really good to see you guys. I want to thank you again for the privilege and the joy of being able to come here and share God's Word with you. Tonight, our message is going to be called, Here's Your Sign, right? There's a, there's a comedian, I think his name is Bill Ingall or something. Yeah, and he's got a, a skit that he does where it's, Here's Your Sign. And he'll say something really obvious and say, Here's Your Sign. You missed the sign, you see? And so, I want us to first understand a couple of principles about the life as a Christian, the life as a child of God that the world around you is not going to understand. And hopefully all of you in this room do understand it. One of the main concepts that you'll realize when you study the Scriptures is that it's faith comes by hearing and hearing the Word of God. It's not faith comes by seeing. And in the world that we live in, we live in a world where it's if you show me, I will believe you. Give me proof... And I will believe that. But what the Bible teaches us is that because of our fallen hearts, because of the wickedness in our hearts, it doesn't matter how much proof you're given, unless God changes your heart, you will not believe. Now, we were talking about this before the class got started. Uh, Tony and I were talking about uh, these uh, fentanyl overdoses. And I have a friend of mine who her roommate has overdosed four times in the last year and had to use Narcan to be revived. Now, you would think that after four overdoses like that, that that would be enough proof to her that this will kill you. And yet, what does she do? She keeps going right back to it again. Because the reality is, guys, that addiction is a bondage. And it is a bondage to lies, and it is a bondage to death. Right. You are in the grips of Satan. He is the father of lies. He's a murderer from the beginning, a liar and a murderer, and he has been since the beginning. So what is his goal? His goal is to destroy you through deceit. And the reality is, is that in addiction or in sin, period, sin is bondage. In sin, we are so blinded to the truth that no matter how much truth is given to us, we will not believe. Do you remember what Jesus said in the parable of Lazarus? Do you remember that? He said, he said, Oh, Father Abraham, please give me some water for my tongue. And Abraham basically said, You're not going to get any relief. You're dead. You're suffering. He said, Well, if you're not going to help me, at least go and tell my five brothers about this place so that they will not go here. And what was Abraham's response to the man in torture? Does anybody remember? He said, if he said, if they won't listen to my word, they would not believe if a dead man came back and told them. He said, if one rose from the dead and came back and told them, they would not believe. Where is that at? It's uh, Luke 16, I think. Don't quote me on that. I might be the prodigal son. It's Luke 15, Luke 16, somewhere along in there. It's in the parables in the Luke passage. But think about what he said. This man is suffering in hell and he says, go and tell my brothers about this place so that they won't come here. And what did Abraham say? If they have Moses and the prophets, that's what he said, they have Moses and the prophets. If they will not believe them, they would not believe if one came back from the dead. And so the reality is, guys, no matter how much truth you're given, no matter how much proof you're given, you will not believe unless the grace of God is at work in your heart and in your life. 
you will not believe. So think about it. Think about all of the AA, NA meetings that you've ever been to. The reco- uh, What's the uh, Christian recovery group called? Celebrate Recovery. Think about all of those that you've ever been to and you hear all of these people stand up and give you all of these wonderful stories about how they're sober, they've been sober for this long and how life is so good now that they're sober. And they did it. They've accomplished this goal and here you are sitting there going, who cares? Like, it's kind of nice to hear a happy story, but how does that apply to me? And the truth of the matter is, no matter how many happy stories you're given, no matter how many proofs you're given that God can keep you sober, unless the Word of God and the Spirit of God work in your heart, you will not believe. Now, why do I say that? Because over the last eight or nine years now, I've had the privilege of standing in this room and sharing God's Word with hundreds and hundreds of people. And there are a lot of wonderful, beautiful stories that come out of this place. But there are a lot of, also a lot of people that leave out of here and, get, and die. Sure. They walk out of these doors and go right back to the life they were living. And what does God do? He takes them out of this world. Mm. That's a fact. And that's heartbreaking. Because I do believe that many of them are actually Christians. That are, they're actually born again Christians. And yet they're still enslaved to sin. And they fall back in a sinful pattern. And what does God do? He kills them. Think about the story of Ananias and Sapphira. You lied to the Holy Spirit. You bore false witness. You claimed that you were one thing and you live another way. And I'm not going to let you live like that. You're not going to take the blood of Christ and trample it under your feet. And it's serious, guys. This is serious stuff. And so I want to look at a passage of Scripture tonight because in the Bible, one of the concepts that you will realize as you read the Bible and study the Bible and grow in your knowledge of Scripture is this. Seeing is not believing. It is believing that is seeing. It's not show me and I'll believe you. God says believe me and I'll show you. And it's not seeing your friends sober. And it's not seeing a life full of uh, financial blessings and healthy lifestyles. And not any of this. It's the gospel of Jesus Christ. That you are dead in your trespass and sin. And God, who loved us even when we were yet sinners, sent His Son to die for us on the cross. He took that death on the cross, buried in the grave, and rose again from the dead to prove that His sacrifice was worthy of taking away our sins. And that by believing in the promise of God, you can have eternal life now and everlasting. And I got news for you. The message of the gospel is not God has a wonderful plan for your life. That is not the gospel. The gospel is you and I are sinners... And Christ Jesus died to save sinners. And if you believe on Him, you will not perish, but have everlasting life. And guess what, guys? When you read the Scriptures and you read of all of the people that believed on Him, they didn't have prosperous lives. They took up their crosses and they died with Him. But they didn't die in sin. They died proclaiming the Gospel. And every one of you, when you leave this place one day, you're going to leave out here proclaiming something. You are either going to proclaim that Jesus Christ is Lord of your life, or you're going to proclaim that you want nothing else to do with Him. 
So let's look at this passage together. I'm going to read a lot of it in con- just to get some context, but we're mainly going to focus on seeing is believing or signs, right? So let me let me catch up with you guys. Luke chapter 11. And we'll start in verse. We'll start in verse 14. So Jesus was casting out a demon, and it was mute. When the demon had gone out, the mute man spoke, and the crowd was amazed. But some of them said, He cast out demons by Beelzebub, the ruler of the demons. Others, to test him, were demanding of him a sign from heaven. But he knew their thoughts and said to them, Any kingdom divided against itself is laid to waste, and a house divided against itself falls. If Satan also is divided against himself, how will his kingdom stand? For if you say that I cast out demons by Beelzebub, and if I by Beelzebub cast out demons, by whom do your sons cast them out? So they will be your judges. But if I cast out demons by the finger of God then the kingdom of God has come upon you. When a strong man fully armed guards his house, his possessions are undisturbed. But when someone stronger than he attacks him and overpowers him, he takes away from him all of his armor on which he has relied and distributes the plunder. He who is not with me is against me, and he who does not gather with me scatters. When the unclean spirit goes out of a man, it passes through a waterless place seeking rest, and finding it, not finding any, it says, I will return to the house from which I've came. Right? I want you to think about some of the people that you know that have regressed and fallen back into addiction. What happens? They leave out here clean. Right? They're sober. Physically, they're sober. And they get back out into the world, and they either follow Christ and are filled with the Holy Spirit and follow Christ and walk with Him, or they allow the world to come back in. And when it comes back in, what does it do? It comes back seven times stronger than it was before. See? He says, When the unclean spirit goes out of man, it passes through a waterless place looking for rest. It can't find any, so it says, I will return to my house from which I came. And when it comes, it finds it swept and put in order. Then it goes and takes along seven other spirits more evil than itself, and they go in and live there, and the last state of that man becomes worse than the first. While Jesus was saying these things, one of the women in the crowd raised her voice to him and said, Blessed is the wound that bore you and the breast on which you were nursed. All right? So blessed is the woman who gave birth to you. Uh, and it says, But Jesus said, No. On the contrary, blessed are those that hear the word of God and observe it. All right? So, Really quickly, a couple of verses I want to point out there, and then we're going to get into our main text, which is the next paragraph. I want you to look again at verse 16. Others, to test him, were demanding a sign of him. What does it mean to demand a sign of him? Show us something to prove who you are. Right Now, what had he just done? He just cast a demon out of a, a mute man. All right? And what are they saying? Show us something to prove you are who you say you are. And the reality is that, that Moses and the prophets prophesied that when the Messiah comes, he was going to cure leprosy. He was going to cast out demons. He was going to come with salvation. He, all of these signs that, that the mute would uh, speak, the deaf would hear, the lame would walk, all of these are promises of the coming Messiah. And what was happening as Jesus walked through Jerusalem? 
All of those prophecies were being fulfilled before their very eyes. And yet every time he did a miracle, the unbelieving said what? Show us something else. Now, what is the source of this? Well, I want you to turn back with me. Some of you might be familiar with a Psalm 91. Psalm 91. This, this psalm is a promise to those who put their trust in God that believe Him and walk with Him, right? He, all right? And well, I want you to look at verse 11. For He will give His angels charge concerning you to guard you in all of your ways. So what is the promise? The one who trusts in God, what will God do? He will give you His angels to protect you and watch over you, right? They will bear you up in their hands so that you do not strike your foot against a stone. You will tread on the lion and the cobra, the young lion and the serpent. You will trample them down. So the promise is, to the one who puts his trust in God, God will give him angels to protect him, and they will literally keep him from hurting his foot on a stone as he walks. There's a promise of protection there in it. Alright? Now let's go back to our passage. But before we get to Luke 11... Take a short, quick stop with me at Luke chapter 4 on the way back to Luke 11. Luke chapter 4, Jesus has been sent into the wilderness to be tempted of the devil. Alright? Verse 9. Luke chapter 4, verse 9. So Satan led Jesus to Jerusalem and had him stand on the pinnacle of the temple and he said, If you are the Son of God, If you are the Son of God, throw yourself down from here. For it is written... Now remember, Satan had already tempted Jesus twice, and both times, how did Jesus reply to the devil? It is written, it is written. So the devil says, oh, okay, you want to play with Scripture, let's play with Scripture. It is written that if you trust God, that He'll protect you and His angels will keep you and keep you from falling. So if you really are his son, if you really are who you say you are, jump off of this temple and let me see the angels catch you. Right? What is the devil tempting Jesus to do? To prove himself. To prove that God's word is true. Now where does that come from? It comes all the way back from the garden when when the serpent said to Eve... Did God really say that? You will not surely die. God knows that when you eat of that tree, your eyes are going to be open. You're going to know the difference in good and evil, and you're going to be just like Him. The devil from the very beginning has tempted man into doubting God's Word. And once Adam fell, he lost the ability... To trust in God. And it is only God who can restore that ability to trust. The heart must be changed. Jesus said to Nicodemus, you must be born again. Or you cannot see the things of God. Alright? So seeing is believing. Now how are we born again? Well, it's a gift of God. Regeneration is a gift of God. How are we born again? Somebody shares God's Word with you, and through the power of God's Word and the power of His Holy Spirit, your heart is changed. 
And it is only the one who has a heart that is changed that will be able to believe and trust in God. So faith is an evidence that God is at work in your life. If you believe Him, it is because He has given you that faith to believe. So what we're going to see now in this context of this passage we're reading here is the masses of the people do not believe Him. The Sadducees, the Pharisees, the scribes, the Jews, if you will. Now in in that term, uh, not all of Israel is Israel, right? There was a lot of believing Jews. Abraham, Isaac, Jacob, Moses, Noah. There was all kinds. Well, Noah wasn't a Jew before Abraham. But the point being is, is that all of these people were Jewish. David, Solomon. These were people that were Jewish that believed. So there were a lot of Jewish believers. But the mass of his chosen ones, the mass of his physical seed, when he came and lived among them and testified that he was the promise of the Old Testament, what did they do? They rejected him. What does it say in John 1, 14? He came into his own... And his own, or actually one twelve, he came to his own, and his own people did not receive him. But to those who received him, to those who believed on his name, he gave them the right to become children of God. So, what is the proof that you believe him? Regeneration. What does regeneration look like? Seeing and believing. That's what regeneration looks like. You see God's Word, you believe God's Word, and you walk in God's Word. Now, let's look. With all of that said, now we've set a context for the passage we're looking at tonight. Um, Look at Luke 11, and let's look at those last few uh, lines there. It says in Luke 11 and verse 29 through 36. This is going to be our main text for tonight. Look what it says. As the crowds were increasing, he began to say, this generation is a wicked generation. It seeks for a sign, and yet no sign will be given to it but the sign of Jonah. For just as Jonah became a sign to the Ninevites, so will the Son of Man be to this generation. The queen of the south will rise up with the men of this generation at the judgment and condemn them because she came from the end of the earth to hear the wisdom of Solomon and behold, something greater than Solomon is here. The men of Nineveh will stand up with this generation at the judgment and condemn it because they repented at the preaching of Jonah and behold, something greater than Jonah is here. No one, after lighting a lamp, puts it away in a cellar nor under a basket but on the lampstand so that those who enter may see the light. The eyes are the lamp of the body. When your eye is clear, your whole body is full of light. But when it is bad, your whole body also is full of darkness. I want you to pay very close attention to verse 35 and I want you to meditate and pray on this first. Listen to what it says. Then watch out, be careful that the light that is in you is not darkness. That is a heavy passage of Scripture. Be careful that the light that is in you is not darkness. All right, and then it says, If therefore the whole body is full of light with no dark part in it, it will be wholly illumined, and when the lamp illumines you with its ray, as when 
the lamp illumines you with his rays. All right, so let's get into this passage and see. The Jews were seeking a sign. What they were really seeking to do was to marginalize Jesus' effectiveness and influence among the people. This was the religious crowd. They wore all the right suits. They quoted all the right scriptures. They didn't smoke. They didn't drink. They didn't chew. And they didn't hang around with those that do. They always were at church on time. They got gold stars at Sunday school. And they were the holy, holy, holy people of that land. The problem was is that they were their righteousness was a self-righteousness. Their righteousness was not to glorify God, but themselves. It was not a look at God religion. It was a look at me religion. You see? And Jesus came in preaching the kingdom. Jesus came in preaching the gospel. And that gospel and that kingdom is exactly contrary to the gospel and the kingdom of this world. This world tells you that the answer is in self-fulfillment, in self-satisfaction, in self-will, in self-righteousness. You do you. See? That's what this world says. God says it's about dying to you. It's a, the message of the gospel of Jesus Christ is completely contrary to the message of this world. And it was directly contrary to the very religion that these people were professing. Now, was Judaism the religion of God's people? Yes. If you go back and read Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, and Deuteronomy, you will understand that God gave them this religion as a way for them to be a light for the world. He said, you're going to be different than everybody else. You're going to dress different than everybody else. You're going to talk different than everybody else. You're going to eat different than everybody else. And you're going to act different than everybody else. You are going to be my light in a dark world. But instead of taking that religion that God had given them and glorifying God with it, they used it to glorify themselves. And then when that true religion was manifest in the flesh... The Word became flesh and dwelt among us. When Jesus came and walked among them, He was showing them that this is what God's intention was all along. To visit the widows and the orphans in their afflictions and to keep oneself uh, clean from sin. That, that's what He says in James. True religion is this. To, keep one, to, to visit the widows and the orphans in their uh, suffering and to keep oneself... What? What, what does that pastor say? To keep oneself clean, to keep oneself holy and separate from the world. True religion looks like taking care of those who can't take care of themselves and keeping oneself unspotted from the world. True religion is loving God and neighbor in that order. So it goes God, neighbor, self. The world teaches you to love self, then neighbor, and then if there's any left over, you can love God. And so... Jesus is coming and showing them what true religion looks like. He's showing them what the truth looks like. He is literally wisdom personified. If you go back and read Proverbs 8, right, the, the wisdom personified, that is a description of who Jesus is. He is the walking manifestation of God's wisdom, God's truth, God's promise. And He's walking among God's people and what are they doing to Him? rejecting Him because they're only God's people on the outside. It is only those with a heart for God 
that can see God. You see how that works? So, look what he says. The crowd was increasing. Show us a sign. Show us a sign. Now, we've already seen the source of that. We know where that's coming from, right? It's coming from an unbelieving heart. Show me something and I'll believe you. When the Gospel says, believe me and I'll show you something. You see, it's completely opposite. Show me, show me, show me. And their hearts are in unbelief. They're children of the devil. He tells them that in John chapter 10. Yes, John? Thomas didn't believe them. Thomas had doubts. And we as Christians do doubt. Right? Right. He also told Thomas this. He said, now that you've seen, you believe. Blessed are those that have not seen and yet believe. Mm -hmm. Thomas was a believer. Thomas just had doubts. As any of us would. They saw him down on the cross. They can't believe he resurrected from grave. So what did he say? Unless I put my hands in his side and, and, and his hand and palm in his hand, I'm not going to believe him. And so when he comes and and reveals himself to Thomas and the disciples in that room, he's doing that to chide Thomas for his doubt. Now again, we all as Christians doubt. We all struggle with doubt. But having when we struggle with doubt, that's not complete unbelief. That's the belief that is within us and the unbelief of the world around us colliding. Alright, so how do we believe? Do we believe by seeing Jesus? No, we believe by hearing Him. Now go back up and look at verse 28. Blessed is the woman that bore you and breast that you nursed on, but Jesus said, oh no, on the contrary, blessed are those who hear the Word of God and observe it. Now notice this. What's another word for observe? Obey. Keep. But there's another word for observe too. It has to do with your eyes. See it. Blessed are those who hear His Word and see it. It means observe in the sense of walking in obedience to it. But it is the one who sees the path that can walk the path. You see how that works? So look what you said again. On the contrary, bless those who hear the Word of God and observe it. And then it immediately goes into the people that don't hear the Word of God and observe it. And what's so ironic about that is these are the very people of God. To the world around, everybody thinks these Jewish, the Jewish people are the the most religious people on the face of the planet. They have all these crazy uh, sacrifices and all these holy days and all of these laws and, and all of this ritual that they follow. These are some religious folks. They wear God's Word on their forehead and on the tassels and on their wrists. They walk around with t-shirts with Bible verses on them. These are religious folks. But again, what's the problem? The problem is their religion is about glorifying themselves and not God. They profess religion, but they are truly unbelievers. And how do we know that they're unbelievers? Because they're asking Jesus to show them something so that they can believe Him. The very manifestation of eternal truth is standing in front of them. And what do they say? Show us something else. That's not enough. Right? So look what he says. He says, this generation is a wicked generation and seeks for a sign. Now, what generation he's talking about? He's talking about the Jews. Well, what's going to happen to the Jews in 70 AD? Their complete entire religious structure is going to be wiped off the map. 
For the last 2,000 years, the Jews have not been able to give, make a sacrifice because they hadn't had a, sta- a temple to go and make one in. And the only place you can make a sacrifice is in the temple. So for 2,000 years, the Jewish people who observe the book of Leviticus that says without the shedding of blood, there can be no remission of sin, they hadn't had any way to shed blood in the last 2,000 years. So all that sin just built up. Huh? All that sin is just built up. No, because it is not the blood of bulls and goats that it's the blood of Christ. But they don't believe that, right? No, they don't believe that. Why do you think they want to build a temple back over there in Jerusalem? So they can reinstitute their religion. But if you read the book of Hebrews, the book of Hebrews is so clear that there's no going back to that. If you go back to that, you're treading over the blood of Christ. There was only one sacrifice that mattered, and it was the blood of the Son of Jesus. It was Jesus' blood on that cross. That's the only sacrifice that matters. All right, so this generation, but he's also talking about we're a generation as well. Did you know that the Bible teaches that there are two ages? There's only two ages in the Bible. This age and what? The age to come. Two ages. So this whole age can be considered a generation, can it? Then there's going to be a regenerate generation, which is going to be the eternal kingdom. And what does he say? This generation is a wicked generation because it's seeking a sign. Now, I can tell you this. I can promise you that if you want to put up a tent and have a healing ceremony at your church, or if you want to have people come in and uh, have Benny Hand come in and knock folks down with his jacket, if you want to have healing and all of these signs and wonders and have people talking in tongues and breaking a sweat and falling out and slain in the spirit in your church, you'll gather a crowd. If you want to have a prophecy conference and talk about what's going to happen next month in the land of Israel, you'll gather a crowd. Because people are focusing on physical manifestations. They want something that they can believe in. And what has happened with every one of those prophecy conferences? What has happened with every one of those prophecies that have been made about this is going to happen and this is going to happen and this is going to happen? They miss it. They got postponed. Yeah, they, they miss it. Why? Because no man knows the hour when he's coming back. Right? Because as wicked as we are, if we knew the hour and the day he was coming back, we'd act like heathens up to the like one second before he comes and then try to change. Right? We'd try to suck everything out of his world we could, like like juice out of an orange. Yeah. And so the reality is, is that all of these temporal things around you, all of these signs actually lead to more unbelief. Because the more you see the what you say. Show me something. I need more. Show me something else. Because what you win them with is what you keep them with. That's right. And if you win them with babbling in tongues and being slain in the Holy Spirit and healings and signs and gifts, spiritual gifts, you win people with all of that. You got to keep them with that. Amen. So you offer a gospel, you offer a a prophecy conference or you offer a healing conference and you're going to have people busting the doors down to get in there and see it. But you get to just an old plain Jane pastor who wants to open up the scriptures and go verse by verse and teach you what the Word of God says. You don't get crowds for that. Right? Right? Yeah. 
and people get sleepy in the service and they fall asleep because it's kind of boring and they're really not doing nothing but just boring standing up there talking. Right? You see what I mean? Right? I mean, listen, I'm guilty of it myself. I got called the other day nodding off in church. The piano player saw me. And after church, he said, you must be tired because I see you nodding off with the preacher talking. And I said, well, how did you see me? You was in front of me. She said, I got up and went to the bathroom. I said, well, you got up and went to the bathroom during the church. <laughs> and she said, well, I had to go to the bathroom. And I said, well, I had to nod off. <laughs> but but she convicted me. And, the, and I, since then, I hadn't nodded off in church anymore because I know there's somebody watching me in the church. The reality is I should be interested spiritually in what's being professed in that pulpit and not be sleepy. The physical reality is that I stayed up till 1 o'clock the night before watching a movie on Amazon Prime instead of going to bed because I'd worked all day and I was tired. You see? Yeah, so I'm not making any excuses for my spiritual lethargy. What what's that word, Tony? Lethargy? Lethargy, yeah. There you go. Lethargy. Uh, that's just a big fancy word for I was sleepy. All right. So you get the point. The point is, is that you can keep you listen. You bring in a uh, let's get third day to come and, and have a concert at our church. Well, that's a generation before y'all. Y'all might not know who third day is. But let's get uh, you know Benny Hinn and the Whalers band to come in and play a concert at our church, and you'll have three thousand people pay for tickets and come there and watch. You get people come in and give testimony. You get Christian comedians to come in and do a, a, a play or a skit or something. Boy, you'll have all kind of a crowd there. But on Sunday night, when the gospel's being preached, they're empty. Why? Because there you are hearing the Word of God. You're not seeing it. But in order to truly see the Word of God, you have to hear it. Now look what he says. He says... For just as Jonah became a sign of the Ninevites, so will the Son of Man be to this generation. Alright? So, who is the Son of Man? Jesus in the flesh. And He is comparing Himself to who? Jonah. Now, what is the difference in Him and Jonah? The difference in Him and Jonah is, number one, Jonah didn't want to go do what God told him to do. Jesus always sought to do His Father's will. But Jonah was a prophet of God. What is a prophet? Someone who does what? Speaks for God. And what was he commanded to do? To go to Nineveh and preach to the Ninevites. So he's from a foreign country. He has to go to another country to preach. What is Jesus? He's a prophet of God from a foreign country. What do I mean by that? Where's Jesus from? Heaven. Heaven. And he's come to the earth to preach that same message to those people. What is the message that He's come to preach? Repent for the kingdom is at hand. Not God has a wonderful plan for your life and I accept everybody at the table. Right? Judas was not accepted at the table. Jesus said, get up and go do what you got to do. He accepted Zacchaeus, didn't He? But what had Zacchaeus said? If I've taken anything from anybody, I'm going to make sure that I restore it for a full. What was he doing? He was applying the law to his life. The command was in the Old Testament that if you stole from your brother, you had to return to him four times what you stole. Remember that? Remember David stole Bathsheba from Uriah and how many of David's sons died? Right? He had to pay back for what he had done. And so what did Zacchaeus say? 
If I've taken anything from my fellow man, I will pay it back for time. And what did Jesus say? Salvation has truly come to the Son of Israel today. Why? Because he heard the message of Jesus, he heard about Jesus, and he followed Jesus, and he repented of his sin, and he walked with Jesus. The gospel has always been repent for the kingdom is at hand. And the true child of God, the true sheep, do what? Hear the shepherd's voice. What are these people right here doing? They're rejecting the shepherd's voice. What did the Ninevites do? They repented. You better believe it. They heard the word of God and they turned from sin and turned to God. They heard the truth. They received the truth. They believed the truth. And they walked in the truth. Why is that? Because the Spirit of God was at work in Jonah's proclamation. It, it says it this way. Jonah went into the city preaching the gospel for three days and it said, and the people of Nineveh believed God. That's what the pastor said. It doesn't say they believe Jonah's preaching. It said they believe God. So why is that? It's because the word of God was proclaimed and the ears and the hearts of those who heard it were open to that truth. They received it and they believed it. What do you think that it's like? What What is the factor here on, on who he opens? He doesn't have any respect or a person. So where's Grace. the line? Grace. That's, that's the determiner. Jesus said, I will be merciful to who I will be merciful to, and I will harden who I harden. For all of those in this room who have known his mercy, we don't question that mercy, do we? It is only those who are being hardened that question his hardening. You see how that works? No child of God has ever questioned God's judgment about saving them. It is only the rebellious one who questions God. If this God that you believe in is so good, why does he send people to hell? That's the rebellious man. And what you can tell the rebellious man is, if God is so just, how does anybody get into heaven? And the answer is grace and boasting. On the last day, on judgment day, all of those who are received in the kingdom are going to know God's mercy, and all of those who are sent to hell are going to know God's justice. Both His mercy and His justice are attributes of who He is. And he is using this world around him to express who he is. And we trust that he's good. You say, well, that's not fair. And you know what Paul would say to you when you say that's not fair? He'd say, who are you, O man, to answer back to God? Will the clay say to the one who molded it, why did you make me thus? The reality is how many of us deserve hell? Everyone. So nobody deserves heaven. So if God was being just, how many of us would go to heaven? None. But in Christ and on the cross, we see both God's justice and His mercy. He took the justice we deserved and poured it on His Son so that we could have a mercy that we could never earn. Yes? Can you say that those uh, with the stronger beliefs might have more doubts? Those with stronger belief have more doubt. I think that as we grow in our faith and our knowledge of the Word of God, of God's promises, 
we become more aware or more sensitive to the sin and the doubt that's still within us. But I, you know, I mean, the more you walk with God, the more you realize you're not walking with God. So, all right. So we we got about a few minutes left. We need to kind of get on. So Jonah, he, Jesus has compared himself to the ministry of Jonah. He said, in the same way Jonah went to those people, you couldn't be able to compare this generation to that generation. The difference being is that when Jonah preached the message, what did they do? They received him and believed him. When the message is being preached to this people, what are they doing? They're rejecting him. And look what he says. For just as Jonah became a sign to the Ninevites, so will the Son of Man be to this generation. So, what did they say? Show me, show me, show me, show me. And he says, the sign that you get is the same sign that Jonah gave. The truth is being proclaimed in front of you. What are you going to do with it? There's your sign. The gospel, the promise of God is being preached to you. What are you going to do with it? There's your sign. If you are a child of God, you will turn from sin itself and turn to Him. Receive Him, believe Him, trust Him, and walk with Him. If you are a child of this world, you are going to reject that truth with your dying breath. All right, he says this. The queen of the south will rise up with the men of this generation at the judgment and condemn them because she came from the ends of the earth to hear the wisdom of Solomon and beheld, behold, something greater than Solomon is here. All right, so now he uses the queen of the south. Now, I don't have time to turn there tonight. You can write these passages down. 1 Kings 10, 1 Kings 10, 1 through 13, or 2 Chronicles 9, 1 through 12. Those are both the stories that relate the Queen of Sheba coming to Solomon. You remember she came to him and she brought questions to him to test him, to test his wisdom. Remember? And she said, not only are you who they say you are, but your wisdom and your kingdom far exceeds anything that they've told me. What did you say to It's 1 Kings 10, 1 through 13. And Second Chronicles nine one through twelve. All right. So the queen came to test Yahweh's. The queen came to test Yahweh's king. Who was Yahweh's king at the time? Solomon. Solomon. Now remember, the nation of Israel at that time, the, in the time of Solomon, that nation was at its pinnacle. It was the greatest it was ever going to be. It had conquered all of the land. God gave them all of the land that He had promised to them. They had conquered all of their enemies and they were at peace. Now the problem is is that wise king, he did some unwise things, didn't he? He married some uh, pagan women that brought their religion into it. All kind of stuff. But the point being, at, at the time when this queen came to visit Solomon, that nation was at its pinnacle. Now, I want to remind you of something. I'll turn there. You don't have to turn there. But in the book of Romans, Paul says something about the children of Israel. He says this. Uh, In Romans 9, he says, I wish for my sake I were a curse separated from Christ for the sake of my brethren and my kinsmen according to the flesh, who are Israelites, to whom belong the adoption as sons, the glory of the covenants, the giving of the law, the temple, the services, and the promises. Whose are the fathers and from whom is the Christ according to the flesh overall? So what is he saying? There is a privilege that the children of Israel had. 
They were given the covenants of God, the promises, the laws, the rituals, the religion, everything. God fenced them in and said, you are my peculiar people, my chosen people, a peculiar nation, a holy people. Remember what He told them? He said, I'm not choosing you because you're the best, I'm choosing you because you're the smallest. And I'm going to fence you in with these promises, these truths, these rules, and you are going to be my people, and from you is going to come the Messiah. And so at the time of Solomon, all of those promises were being fulfilled to the people. They were to be a light to the world. Who comes to them? This queen of Sheba. Do you remember the Ethiopian eunuch that came up to Jerusalem? Worship a lot of people think that they were kind of related. That Sheba went back down into North Africa and shared those, those messages with the people down there. And some of the people down there became believers. But the point being is this. It said, the queen of the south is going to rise up with the men of this generation. So at the resurrection on the final day, who is being risen? Everybody. Both the evil and the good. The goats and the sheep are all being raised. And what it's saying is, Jesus is talking to these Israelites, and He's saying the Ninevites and the queen of Sheba are going to condemn you. Now, they're not going to be the ones that say you're going to hell, but they will, in a sense, judge the Israelites. Why? Because when the same message was given to them, they, they repented and believed. And yet the Israelites, the promised people of God, rejected the message. And so what is he saying? He's saying those wicked people that you think are so wicked, those goy, those dogs, those the nation around you, Gentile. they, the Gentiles, they heard the message and believed. Now, the, the Scriptures do teach us that in the last days that the, there are going to be a lot of natural, physical children of Abraham that are going to hear the Gospel and, and receive it and, and believe it. As a matter of fact, the way it says it is is that the Gentiles are going to receive the Messiah and it's going to provoke them to jealousy. They're going to be like, wait a minute, that's our, that's our Messiah. And they're going to turn back. But So all of God's people will be saved in the end. But it says this, Verse 32, the men of Nineveh will stand with this generation at the judgment and condemn it because they repented at the preaching of Jonah and behold, something greater than Jonah is here. All right, let's finish this passage up. No one after lighting a lamp puts it in a cellar or under a basket but on a lampstand so that those who enter may see. What is the purpose of a lamp? Light. Light. To light up a room. Right? And so if we have received the light, if we've received the light, what is the true indication that we've received the light? Huh? Yeah, we become vessels of His light. You see how that works? God did not give you the gospel for you to to clothe it in darkness. He gave you the gospel so that it can shine through you. Then He says this: No one, after lighting a lamp, puts it away in a cellar or under a basket, but on a lampstand, so that those who enter may see the light. So if I truly am a child of God, right, I'm not going to be ashamed of the light that's within me. I'm going to go out and shine in a dark world. The eye is the lamp of the body. When your eye is clear, your whole body is full of light. But when it is bad, your body is also full of darkness. All right? So he's talking about both physically and spiritually your eyes. All right? Um, there's probably not a single one of you in this room that at some time in his life has not relied on Visine. <laughs> Why? Because when you go to work, you put that Visine in to let people know what 
to not let people know what you have actually been doing. Your eyes reflect what's going on. Right? They're glazed over. Your pupils are dilated. When I was in when I was at hospital core school in the Navy, one of the first things we learned was a, a acronym PEARL. Pupils equal and reactive to light. That was the acronym. So when I come up on an unconscious person, I open up their eyes and shine a light in their eyes, and what happens to their pupils? When the light hits it, what happens? They shrink. Right? So a healthy person is pearl. Their pupils are equal and reactive to light. If I come in and you lay down on the floor and I open up your eyes and one pupil is that big and one pupil is, is that small, it tells me that there's some brain damage. Something's wrong. If I shine that light into your eyes and there's no reaction, what does it tell me? You're blind. You're brain dead or something is wrong. Your, your body is not working the way that it's supposed to be. Wait, hold on. Wait, wait a second. Realize. Okay, Realize. so, so I got a question about that. I know this is, it doesn't have much to do. I looked in the mirror one day, and one of my viewers were going to know. Are you on drugs? No. Yeah, brain damage? And then, well, I didn't overdose one time, but it did the same thing. Three of the power of the universe. Yeah, I don't, I can't tell you what was going on. I have no idea. <laughs> I, I'm just being honest. I have brain damage. Right. We all have some. We've all destroyed a lot of brain cells in our life. There's no doubt about that. All right, so let me wind this down. So your eye is the lamp of your body. When your eye is clear, your whole body is full of light. So if you have received Christ, if you believe Christ, then you're going to walk in that light. It's going to be an evidence of who you are. All right? What did James say? He said, I'll show you my faith by my works. Because I am a believer... It had played out in my life. The eyes are an expression of the soul. I can look at someone's eyes and when they're happy and they're in love, they're all glittery and happy. Mm-hmm. When they're tired and sleepy at church, their eyes are drooping. You, you see what I'm saying? Like there are physical expressions of what's going on in your eyes to tell you what's going on in your body. If your eyes are full of love and joy and peace and patience and kindness and goodness and gentleness and meekness and self-control, then who is in charge of your heart and your mind? The Holy Spirit. If your eyes are full of jealousy and envy and strife and heresy and sedition and drunkenness and carousing, then who's in charge of your life? You see how that works. All right. Now, look what he says in verse 35. Watch out that the light in you is not darkness. What does that mean? It means that there are a lot of fake people walking around. Now, we like to think when we're walking in darkness that, oh, I'm not such a bad person. There's actually some good in me. And you just can't see it because there's a lot of dark on the outside. What did Jesus say about that? No. If the light is in you, it's coming out of you. Stop fooling yourself. You're not that good. You see how that works? It don't work the opposite way. There are a lot of people who are fake religious people that try to put on an external light when internally they're full of darkness. Now, it can't work the other way around. It don't work the other way around. If God's light is in you, it's coming out of you. That's right. So the the passage there that says, watch out that the light in you is not darkness, is basically Jesus' way of saying, check yourself before you wreck yourself. Don't deceive yourself. 
You, you see what he's saying there? And then he says this, If therefore your whole body is full of light, with no dark part in it, it will be wholly illumined as when a lamp illumines you with its rays. So, what is the sign? The source of blindness is unbelief. And we need to understand that. And what is this gospel message? What is this truth that we are to believe? Last passage I promised got on Baptist, but I, I, I say that a lot, but I really mean it this time. Turn with me to Acts. All right, turn with me to Acts. And let's look at Acts chapter 26. Acts chapter 26. And verse 21. Well, actually, Acts 26 and... Verse 12. Acts 26, 12. So while engaged as I was on a journey to Damascus with the authority and commission of the chief priests at midday, O king. All right, so this is uh, this is Paul standing in front of King Agrippa giving his life testimony. Now listen to what he says. O king, I saw on the way a what? Light from heaven, brighter than the sun, shining all around me and those who were journeying with me. And when we had fall, all fallen to the ground, I heard a voice... So what did he do? He saw a light and he heard a voice. And he said, in Hebrew dialect, Saul, Saul, why are you persecuting me? It is hard for you to kick against the goats. And I said, who are you, Lord? He knew who it was. He knew who it was. He addressed him as Lord. And the Lord said, I am Jesus whom you are persecuting. But get up and stand on your feet. For this purpose I have appeared to you to point you a minister and a witness not only to the things which you have seen, but also the things that will appear to you. Not only are you going to preach about the things you have seen, but are you going to preach about more things that you are going to see? Because believing is seeing. And he said... Um, rescuing you from the Jewish people and from the Gentiles to whom I send you. Now look at verse 18. To open their eyes so that they may turn from darkness to light and from the dominion of Satan to God, that they may receive forgiveness of sin, sins and an inheritance among those who have been sanctified by faith in me. So what is the point of the gospel? Why was, why was Paul called to be a preacher of the gospel? To open the eyes of those who are blind. He, he, he further emphasizes that in 2 Corinthians. Remember what he said? If the gospel is hid, it is hid to those who are, are in darkness, who, who the God of this world has blinded their eyes so that they might not see the glory of the gospel of Christ. So if you're in this room today and you truly are a born-again, blood-bought child of God, it is because God shined His light into your life. That's right. You received Him, you heard Him, you received Him, and you believed Him. That's right. And now He commands you to allow others to see Him in you. Remember, a part of your salvation, a part of your sanctification is the promise that you will be conformed to the image of His Son. You will become more and more Christ-like. And what do Christ-like people do? They share the promises of God with those around them. And what are the people around you going to do when you share that light with them? Most of them are going to spit on you and kick you and try to kill you. That's right. Right? So, seeing is not believing. Believing is seeing. 
listen, guys, do not do not let your sobriety be the complete indicator of your salvation. Let the empty tomb in Jerusalem be the indicator of your salvation. That it's his promise fulfilled in you that keeps you safe. Not your sobriety, not you, not nothing about you. It's all about him. Amen. Amen. Of him, through him, and to him are to whom be the glory forever and ever. All things to it's for of him, through him, and to him are all things to whom be the glory forever. Christ our Savior. Amen. Amen. Father, thank you for this time we've had together. Forgive us for our doubts. Forgive us for our unbelief. Forgive us for our willful walking away from you and trying to to keep your light from shining in our lives and the lives of others around us. Please help us to hear your word. Please help us to receive that word and believe that word. Um, Help us to not only believe, but to see. In Christ's name we pray. Amen. Amen. Amen.